0: Everyone from Montgomery, Alabama, and Fraser Memorial United Methodist Church. I'm Bob Kaler, and this is Holy Conversations, the podcast of the Wesleyan Covenant Association. And I'm coming to you from the WCA Global Legislative Assembly, which is happening here on Friday, April 30th. Glad you've joined us for the podcast. And I wanted to kind of give you a little bit of a window into what's been happening here. Today, as the wca Global Legislative Assembly has been looking at different resolutions and and things like that for uh, the Global Methodist Church responding to recent events and a lot of other things that are going on with um, with the WCA and you're going to hear more about that in a little bit i'm going to bring in some folks to give a summary of the day, but before we do that, I had a chance to kind of walk around the The great room or the foyer or the narthex, whatever they call it here at Fraser Memorial, which is a beautiful church here in Montgomery, and to just interview some folks who I ran into and got their impressions about what's happening here with the Global Legislative Assembly. Also, had a chance to interview two mentors in the faith. One was a mentor from afar, and that was John Ed Matheson, who was the longtime pastor here at Fraser Memorial, to get some of his advice for pastors and, and laity as we dive into these days, and also got a chance to interview Maxie Dunham, who's one of my heroes of the faith and who was president of Asbury Theological Seminary, uh, was a longtime pastor at Christ Church in Memphis, and also has been a, a part of this movement for traditional United Methodism for a very long time. So I'm, I'm happy to bring these little interviews to you, and uh, you'll notice some of the background noise going on with them because I interviewed people outside while people were kind of buzzing around. We've been able to meet together in person here. We have about 300 people, I think, in the room, all masked and uh, following the guidelines, but it's been good to get out and travel. This is the largest group of people that I've been with, uh, since COVID uh, began, so it's been a really great experience to be with people in person and to feel the buzz and the energy and to to sing together, even if we are still masked. It's been a tremendous experience. So I want you to just listen to a few short snippets of interviews that I, I took over the last day or so, and then we'll come to a time where we do a little bit of summary of the day. All right, so I'm here with uh, some some folks from back home in Western Pennsylvania. So introduce yourselves real quick and where you're serving.
1: Hi, this is Janet Lord. I'm serving the Western Pennsylvania Conference uh, as the BOOM staff person. And I am just really excited to be here. It's my first outing uh,
2: since COVID and it's great to see people face to face. I'm Laura Saffel, I'm an ordained elder, serving two churches outside of Pittsburgh in the Washington district of the Western Pennsylvania Conference. And it is so wonderful to be here because it's not like an annual conference where your blood pressure is high. The spirit is good and I've just found myself really emotional about being here and hopeful about our future.
0: Awesome, so, so what, are you, what are you hopeful for as as we move through the legislative assembly today
1: I'm excited for the um, for all the legislation that's before us That they're positive steps and moving toward an amicable separation uh, and and just being
2: positive about the future
0: Laura how about you
2: Well, I really love some of the legislation that is about discipleship, and not to suck up to you, Bob, but I totally listen to your protocol, or your uh, protocol, what am I saying, to your podcast. I'm excited about equipping churches now, even before we separate, so that uh, we have the training and everything that we need to help us to move smoothly into a new denomination, already doing the things like class and band meetings and helping people to understand that this is not just changing the name on a sign. It is actually changing the hearts and lives of people and changing the DNA so that we are already doing things at a deeper, more spiritual level.
0: So I'm here with some representatives from the Western jurisdiction. I've got uh, Richard Thompson here. And uh, Richard, tell us where you're serving and, uh, and what's your impression of the Global Legislative Assembly has been so far?
3: Well, I'm pastor at uh, First Methodist Church in Bakersfield, California. And I'll tell you, I was a little bit surprised this morning that the number of people who were offering amendments on resolutions that our, our uh, WCA Council has worked on for some months. But on the other hand, it's probably healthy and a good thing for people to be doing that. So there was some give and take, and it brought out a wider discussion about. Um, the need for us to to be firm in our conviction and where we're moving as as a WCA and moving into a a, a new uh, denomination of the Methodist Church and uh, and p- preserve our vision of a, a renewed and revitalized Wesleyan Christian expression, but at the same time giving our WCA leadership the flexibility to continue in dialogue and negotiations with other parts of or other. Um, constituencies in the United Methodist Church to help us move uh, to a place where we can um, amicably separate, because that's the ultimate goal. That is to keep on board with uh, support for the protocol for separation, and um, and I think I think the body here recognizes that the, one of the greatest barriers we have to that protocol is. is is bishops and institutionalists, and yet there's still widespread support across uh, the the, nom- the denomination for this protocol. So I've been pleased with what I've seen here this morning and what I've heard. And uh, I came here uh, um, expecting to, to voice some concerns, but I have not spoken, uh, because I think those concerns have largely been uh, addressed by others.
0: Thank you, Richard. And. Uh John Hunsberger from Pacific Northwest, Uh, we were talking earlier about some of the things you expected in coming this morning and you were pleasantly surprised about. Tell us about that.
4: Mm -hmm. Uh, Yes. Uh, Some of the folks that I represent have had a real concern that all this time Uh, What the legislative assembly would be is basically a rubber stamping of what they have uh, put together and I'm very pleased to see the give-and-take from the rank-and-file that uh, while there's been an appreciation for the work of the council the work of the um, Transitional Leadership Team, um, there, there's been a real uh, loving, respectful debate that I'm so pleased to, to witness. Um, without repeating what's been said by others previously, um, I want to add that I'm especially pleased to hear that all of the protocol signees... Uh, have continued to voice support in going ahead with the hoped for. So I'm here with Beth Cook,
0: who serves in Indiana and is a phenomenal artist, as well as a member of the Commission on General Conference. So, Beth Ann, what's been your impression so far of the Global Legislative Assembly?
1: First of all, I am an extrovert who has been in a house by myself throughout a pandemic. So mine is just what a joy it is to be with people that I love and enjoy being around. And so I'm rejoicing over that. I love the spirit of prayer. I love that even when we disagree, we do it with with so much love and trust in the room and it just feels so good. I uh, had shared that I am maybe someone who is more hesitant to set any kind of a firm date that we should launch if, if General Conference doesn't happen by this date. Um, I think that what's really driving us not having General Conference is the pandemic. And I, I lean towards trying to figure out how we can do getting people together through helping get our delegates vaccinated, uh, some of those kinds of things. But I understand the frustration and the angst. And the reality is that there are people who are not making waiting easier. And so uh, I like the fact that, that people here are having good, firm discussions. And when we disagree with each other, it's agreeable. So, you know, it feels good.
0: Well, I have the great privilege of sitting down with John Ed Matheson, who was a longtime pastor here at Fraser Tell me the story of Fraser. Were you the founding pastor or? No,
5: uh, the church had been here a long time over on a different section of town. And when Interstate 85 and 65 intersect here, Interstate 85 ends in Montgomery. At that point, where it intersects with 65, it wiped out the whole neighborhood where Fra- Fraser was. And it was a small church, and all the authorities said, look, you didn't have many folks, you're scattered, you need to disband. And the few that were there said, no, we had a past, we want a future. And they wouldn't listen to them. And then finally, they said, okay, then you can have, we'll help you have a couple of acres in South Montgomery. So Frazier went out and bought a parsonage out there. And then all of a sudden, another church got in, had more influence and said, we want that property. So the Methodist Church gave them the property. And this left Fraser with no place to go, and they said, you need to disband. And this group of folks pleaded and said, hey, let us have a place. And they picked out here in East Montgomery a cotton patch, something nobody wanted. Said, you can have this. And uh, they said, but you'll never make it more than a year or two. You don't have enough people. There's nobody around that cotton patch. Uh, So this will be the end of it. That was in the late, I'd say the late, uh, the early 60s. And then they moved out here in about 68, 67, with a small group of folks, but determined to follow God's leadership. I came in 72. And when I came here, guess where my parsonage was? All the way across town. Oh, wow. And, uh, and so at any rate, we finally got a parsonage. And they, the closest place to get a sandwich was four miles. So you can imagine there was no staff. We had a couple of part-time people, and myself, I was the staff. So it was out here, and they said, you'll never make it, but God had a different vision. And the people were very committed to what it means to be a real church that reaches people for Jesus. And from that, it started to grow and grew consistently, and went from that small group of folks to ultimately about 9,000 people. But it was all because folks had a vision of what God could do and a commitment to follow Him.
0: It's hard to imagine now because you come into this beautiful building and, and the global emphasis and, and all the things that you see and, and the way the area is built up around the church. It's, it's amazing to see how it's, how it's grown. Well, see, nobody,
5: the people said nothing's going to happen out there, but they didn't know. And then it did, and you can see economically just the, all the structure out here. Now you can probably eat at 100 places within three miles of here. Right. But that wasn't nobody predicted that. And when I came here, you'd be interested to know, the bishop said, would you go? And it was in the middle of the year because a bishop had been elected and some changes were made. And I knew the music director here. We'd been in youth camps together, and he was part-time. I called him and I said, uh, "Are you going to be there?" He said, "I don't know why you're calling." We told the bishop to ask you, put you on our list. And I asked him, I said, "Well, I, I knew he and I thought alike." I said, "How long will you stay?" He said, "If you come, I'll stay as long as you do." And so I called the bishop back the next day and said, "I'll be glad to go." And uh, he said, well, "I thank you for that." Said, "I have to be honest with you and tell you, you were the third person I asked." I said, well, "Why didn't you tell me that before you asked me?" But let me tell you, it was the best thing that ever happened. I came, and music became a strong, strong aspect of our ministry. And the music man went full time about ten or twelve years later, and he was here for fifty-four years. Wow! We were together at my whole time. And in a church, I think the most important relationship is the worship, is the senior pastor and the music part. And he and I were on the same page and never had an argument in 36 years.
0: Wow. Wow. And you've been a longtime traditional voice in the United Methodist Church from the very beginning. And what's your impression of what's happening now and and the place of the WCA in it? Because we're hosting the big event here. Oh, yeah. Tell me about that evolution for you.
5: Well, uh, I was a vital part of the Confessing Movement. The Confessing Movement started here in this church, and I was the first president of it. I was elected because I had to leave the meeting early, and after I left, <laughs> uh, Bill Henson and uh, Max Dunham and a couple of others, and we had a lot of volunteers, and that's where it started. So I've, all, I've always been strong for what, Good News, WCA, the Confessing Movement stands for, and it's been a battle, I mean, always just to keep the, the discipline like it should be. And I am delighted to know that maybe we're reaching a point, hopefully soon, where that won't, we'll get off of this idea of arguing about things on human sexuality and the authority of the Bible and get into where we win people to Jesus Christ. And that's what we're here for as a church. Absolutely. So I'm so excited about what's happening here and the possibilities and potential uh, of being a part of a church where you don't have to have in the background defending what folks other places are doing that they said they wouldn't do.
0: Do, do you have other kinds of hopes for the future for this church? What kind of shape it would be? I'm talking about the Global Methodist Church in yeah, particular. I, you know,
5: I have not I I don't know too much about, I think God's going to bless it, and I think God's going to give direction. I try not to get caught up in the smaller things that people like to talk about, about, you know, but hey, the the overall concept of what we're doing is just very, very exciting, and we'll give our local churches an opportunity to be what I think God's called us to be.
0: Awesome. Since I have you here, Mm -hmm. I mean, as a, I, I can't call myself a young pastor anymore at fifty seven you know I'm <laughs> yeah, certainly yeah. not I like to feel like you're young like I to am. me <laughs> yes right. so but but I do think we have a lot of a lot of pastors who are listening to this podcast and who may be thinking, man John Ebb was there a long time and and laid in with the congregation for a very long time I've been with my congregation in Colorado for eleven years. Mm-hmm. And there's something about pastoral longevity. Mm-hmm. So beyond all the stuff we're dealing with here with mm-hmm. WCA and all that kind of stuff, I've, I always just love to ask some of, these, uh, some of the saints and, and senior leaders who've been around a long time and who've been through the wars and who have, who have endured in ministry, mm-hmm. what kinds of things would you tell the pastors about endurance and about finishing well?
5: Oh, well, let me tell you first, I came with an idea of stay it. And there is a direct correlation between long-term pastorates and growing churches. An interesting fact is that our annual conference, now this was 10 years ago, our annual conference had more long-term pastors than any annual conference. We also were the only conference that had a net gain in membership for the last 35 years. There's a direct correlation to long-term pastors and the churches in our conference that were growing were pastored by long-term pastors, and we took in enough members that all these other churches lost members. We still had a net gain because our conference focused, and we had several good, strong, large churches, pastors there, 15, 20, 25 years. So I believe in when, when I hired a staff person, when I started, I was the only full-time person. Every staff position here started part-time. And every person that became a part of it, I said, "Will you stay at least five years in this ministry. Doesn't mean you have to, but would you, if you ain't got a mindset of, my, my dad used to say, if you're going to live in a house, you build it better. Hmm. And a lot of pastors are not interested in building a church because they're not going to live in it. They'll leave it for somebody else. But if, if you're going to live in the house, you build it better. So if, if you'll talk to any of these staff people you see around here now, Somebody asked a lady a minute ago, how long have you been here? She said 36 years. The the staff stayed a long, long time and built an infrastructure for ministry through which God's Holy Spirit could operate. I'd say to every younger pastor, hey, bloom where you're planted. Have a long reign and, and two or three things that must happen is to have the vision and be able to communicate it. And mainly to involve the laity in doing the ministry. Get away from this concept of you're the pastor, you're paid to do this. No. A pastor and a staff, they are the primary function is to train and equip lay people, not go do it. So we had small staff. We never had large staff because didn't hire them to go do the ministry, but to train and equip lay people to do it.
0: That's huge advice. To think about blooming where you planted, and mm-hmm. I, I read a lot of Eugene Peterson when I was on sabbatical a couple years ago, thinking about longevity and ministry, mm-hmm. and and his phrase "a long obedience in the same direction" uh, strikes me right. as as mm-hmm. really describing what you've done here.
5: Well, I've, I enjoyed. My kids used to say to me, I "said Dad, you're intimidated." I said, "What do you mean?" They said, "Well, you get up excited every day about what God's going to do today." And I don't know if I can find a job like that, <laughs> but I mean, and it wasn't something, I just sincerely, God was doing, opening so many doors, doing so many good things that every day became an exciting day. Now there were a lot of problems. We, we had to encounter things. I mean, this church took the strong step in racial inclusion early on, way back. And I always stood strong for that. And I was always very vocal in the community. I mean, we, we we faced controversial things. However, above everything, I believe that Jesus Christ, when He is lifted up, He will draw all people unto Himself, because that's what He said He would do. And our task is to keep lifting up Jesus, and then a lot of these other things take care of themselves. And to stay focused. And uh, I, every day was an exciting day.
0: Every day is an exciting day when you're doing it for Jesus. Mm-hmm. Ed, I want to thank you for spending a little time with me. Well, and, thank you uh, for
5: being here, and thank you. Uh, what a joy to host uh, this WCA meeting, and I'm looking forward to tomorrow and all of the things that are taking place. And I'm very, very excited about the future for Methodist expression of what God wants us to do and to be, and I think it's, that, that's where
0: the future is. Awesome. Thank you so much. Good. Thank you so much. So what a great privilege it is to come to these WC events and uh, WCA events, I should say, and to, to be able to interview some of our mentors in the faith. And I have Maxie Dunham here with me, who was president of Asbury my last year. And I have to tell you a story right up front. You probably don't remember this. I'm sure you don't remember this. But I remember walking in the hall past the president's office one day, feeling kind of bad about myself, And suddenly I feel these hands on my shoulder. I don't think you knew my name and probably not. But, (laughs) but you said, you said, I'm praying for you today. And I want, and I want you to know, you know, it was just kind of like grabbing a student, walking by and saying, I want you to know, I I see you. And I felt seen that day. And that was a powerful experience for me. So I just wanted to tell you that up front.
6: Bless your heart. (laughs) Bless your heart. Listen, I, uh, I think the most important thing I did at Asbury (laughs) really was to be a pastor. Uh, I felt, I felt I was a pastor and I really genuinely was concerned about the students and they enriched my life immensely because most of the students, there are really very serious in their quest. And, uh, not all the people we deal with in the church are serious about their quest.
0: Right, right. I just remember it, it, it being a pastoral moment, and I was thinking about pastoral ministry. It was one of well, those, thank you. One of those thank example you. times for thank me. You. Now, we're here at the WCA Global Legislative Assembly, Global Gathering, and we're still talking about stuff going on with the United Methodist Church. And of all the people I know who've been in this battle for, for decades— you're the person who's been at it the most. So where do you see things standing right now?
6: I, I really I really am sad that it's delayed, uh, but I do think it's coming. I really do. Um, I, I think the the chips are all clear uh, and and what's been happening recently, you know with uh, north georgia and and New Jersey as it relates to the action of the bishops. But I, I think even the leadership of the church, I know me, I, uh, I'm, uh, I'm more clear, uh, I'm more convinced that this really has to happen. Uh, and uh, I, I think uh, the timing of what's going on in our nation and what's going on in the UM church, uh, that's, that's the kind of time that God brings revival. And, and I think a new global Methodist movement would, would be a part of that revival.
0: So what excites you about what you're hearing while you're here?
6: Well, I, I think uh, I, I was looking at the assembly there, and it really is a, a general assembly. Uh, I'm, I'm excited there's so many young folks there. Uh, it's not just the, quote, old crowd, you know. There's so many young people there, and there's so many women there. And it, it uh, was wonderful today to see as many women speaking as there were men. Uh, so I think that everything that the more liberal church talks about, uh, we are really demonstrating. And, and I'm praying that we'll, we'll really demonstrate that even more in uh, the global Methodist church.
0: When you look at where we've been in United Methodism and you hear some of the proposals about where we're looking to go, uh, what are some of the contrasts and things that excite you specifically about where, where the Global Methodist Church might, well, how, how it might be different?
6: Uh, well, I think, I think it, where it might, uh, there are two things that really excite me uh, just being here, uh, seeing it. Uh, uh, number one, the, the, the talk about new congregations and the freedom with an evangelical spirit that we have to establish new congregations. I, I really do think that's going to be a, 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 a huge dynamic. And I've been talking to, to local preacher types, and, and I think that we have had a, a wonderful resource there in local pastors and the possibility of local pastors that we have not paid enough attention to in uh, in the UMC. Uh, but if we're gonna establish new congregations, we don't have enough elder types uh, to do that. And if we'll pay attention to local pastors, not just the existing local pastors, but the potential Group of local pastors that we have across the church, and uh, what that will mean to how we equip pastors, how we plan uh, requirements for ordination—that's that's that's just going to be an exciting thing. The second thing, though, doesn't relate to what I see here precisely, except I see the sensitivity to it. I think that the African church and the central conference churches will really be more intimately involved with us in the global Methodist church than they presently are Mm. in the UMC. Because I think that number one, uh, it'll be a new thing. And I think we, we know that, that that's, that's a dynamic that's going to be at the soul and heart of, of our new denomination.
0: What about things that maybe throw up caution flags for you? Or so things, say it again. Things that maybe throw up caution flags for you.
6: The um, the possibility, and I haven't seen this except maybe in a hinting kind of way, but I I am concerned that we don't, settle into just another denomination and the only denomination most of the people will have seen is the UMC. And uh, I think that what I'm, what I'm concerned about is that institutions don't have to be institutional. Uh, you can have a fervor. In fact, I think we can structure the institution in a way that it doesn't diminish the fervor and the the spirit and the dynamic of something new. It would be tragic. It really would be tragic if we just settled into being something like we already are or have been.
0: I, I hear that a lot as I'm walking around the halls that that what we don't want to create is just United Methodism 2.0. That's
6: right. That's right. That's right. We, That's we've right. been there and it done that. It would be that. easy to do that. Sure. Easy and very tempting because we know that.
0: Right, right. It's familiar. Yeah, and breaking away from that
6: familiarity yep. is scary yep. for a lot of yep. folks. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I think it's not easy. Uh, it's not easy to do something really new uh, because— it takes energy it takes imagination and uh so i i I hope we'll really guard against that and i guess too uh and I, i hate to even mention this because i i think we may talk about it too much uh i think that uh i don't want us to just be labeled conservative uh I'm I'm conservative, very conservative, as you very well know. But I don't want people just to think of us as conservative because I don't want them to identify us conservatives in the way that they identify other things conservative. Mm. I don't want us to be the new Republican religious body, you know.
0: Yeah, I think that's a that's a concern that many people have. That really, when we talk about the gospel, we're talking about the kingdom of God.
6: Exactly, exactly. And, and everything that we believe, you know, in core, evangelical, orthodox Christianity is, is what you're saying. And if that matches secular politics, that's okay. But let them model us rather than us model them.
0: Right, right. Right. No matter who pre- who the president that's is, Jesus right. is Lord. That's right.
6: That's right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to John Ed Matheson earlier, and that for me, that's one of the great other things about coming here is being able to to talk to our, our mentors in the faith and people we followed over the years. And so there are a lot of people going to be listening to this podcast who may be young pastors or people who maybe have been in ministry for a while or lay leaders who are sticking in with the church for a long period of time. So I guess I'm asking for your words of wisdom in these days for, for pastors and church leaders.
6: Well, I, am I'm not, I don't know that I have any words of wisdom, but I think that, I think we know, we know what evangelical wesleyan theology is we know if we don't know we better learn you know but i believe we know and i think that we're so far from that i'm talking about universally in united methodism in terms of just how it pervades our life that it could be pervasive in this new denomination that And there was some talk about that today. Uh, I want that. I I want us to be Wesleyan, Wesleyan, because I don't know any other denomination, really, uh, that has its uh, uh, touch on or a a grip of when we are ourselves uh, than than the Wesleyan movement. I really don't. Uh, And... I'm a Wesleyan by choice. I I didn't know anything about the Methodist Church growing up, you know. Uh, So uh, I, uh, this is very personal and very subjective. Uh, I've been praying, and the Lord has given me confidence that I'm going to see this new thing and that it's going to be a vital, vital thing.
0: Mm -hmm. That's a good word. That's a good word.
6: uh, I really, I really, I don't have any official role in what's going on here today, but I wanted to be here today because I really have that confidence.
0: Well, and I think you've paved the way for a lot of
6: what's happening. Well, you're kind, you're kind. Uh, You talk about John Ed, uh, you know, there have been stellar uh, people like him, you know, Bill Henson, and it's a lot of people like that. Uh, the Busker, uh, just 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 a lot of lot of people like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. People like that. Well, we
0: appreciate you. How are how are things with you and your your family We're and your life? doing well.
6: Both my wife and I've had COVID, and we survived that. Uh, and we've had our two shots. <laughs> And we feel very, very good. Uh, and, uh, it, and again, this is just subjective. And, uh, you know, uh, the COVID, while it really has upset almost everything in our lives, it, it could have served a good purpose in terms of causing us to have to be more reflective, uh, you know. Uh, and I, I sort of put all these things together. I said a moment ago, it's time like these. Um, the national, we are such a divided nation. The Methodist Church being in such a mess of division and COVID, I mean, you put those three things together, and it it's a pretty big ball perfect storm it's a perfect storm and that's that's the time God has brought revival and uh I'm counting on that i'm count I'm counting on that yeah
0: it's also given us time i think as a as a Wesleyan Covenant Association has a global Methodist Church to do some of the work that we're talking about here you know to prepare working on task forces working all those right. on all those kinds of things and um, it's been exciting to see how that's that's unfolded too yeah and
6: I, and I think it's I think it's given time for uh, Wesleyan Covenant Association to become more expansive and work with more people that that might not have been with us from the beginning and and it gives us a it it gives us a a a great resource uh when i think of the the leadership that is pervasive in our movement you know which may not have been uh, pervasive as quickly as it has had had we not had covid and Mm. and this time I'm tremendously upset with the delay of the general conference I think that had we not delayed that uh, uh, we would really we would really be further along but uh, we can use that even uh, my fear is that people will jump the ship too quickly uh, I pray they won't uh, but we 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 are well prepared. We are well prepared, and after this meeting today and the discussion of that we've had, uh, we'll be even better prepared with the data, with the papers, with the d- description. Uh, I mean the thorough description of the new denomination. I mean that it's just phenomenal, just phenomenal. Yeah.
0: Maxie, I want to thank you for spending a little time with us, and um, this has been great, and um, we appreciate you, and uh, we, we continue to pray for you, as we know that you pray for us all the time.
6: I do, I do, and it's it's good to speak this good word for what's going on. Thank you, thank That's you. That's
0: you. I'm here with Jeff Greenway, who is the vice chair of the Global WCA Council and just wanted to kind of give a summary of what took place today in the Global Legislative Assembly.
7: Well, first of all, it was a, a great opportunity for many people to be together in a large room for the first time, for many of them in a year, and especially to have kind of a family reunion of those of us who are in the traditionalist camp in the, in the, Wesleyan, or the United Methodist tradition. It was great to see friends, old friends, new friends. There's a great spirit in the room. I think the thing that's most exciting for me is that to see what the uh, the first year of cancellation of the General Conference has been able to bring about and beginning to frame the underpinnings of what the next expression of Methodism is going to look like here in North America. An exciting, forward-looking day.
0: So talk about some of the resolutions that took place. We spent a lot of time this morning on a couple of resolutions that are pretty important, particularly as they pertain to events that are unfolding right now.
7: Yeah, so the first resolution we picked up this morning was uh, a resolution in response to some of the events that have been happening in the larger United Methodist Church over the last two or three weeks related to uh, what I consider to be overreach and uh, by some of our Episcopal leaders, especially related to some of the uh, traditionalist pastors appointed in some of the larger churches in their respective annual conferences. The the Global Council yesterday and then the Legislative Assembly today adopted a resolution uh, related to those events, uh, calling for uh, the restoration of those pastors to their appointments, uh, calling for the bishops to actually enter into genuine consultation about the future, also encouraging the bishops across the church uh, to not be so anxious during this liminal time to to force the change of appointments, but in situations where uh, pastors and and congregations are theologically aligned. I would add that would be along any place in the, in the theological spectrum, where pastors and congregations are theologically aligned and they want to continue their ministry together at all costs, let's try to keep them in place so those ministries can flourish during this difficult time. And uh, overall, the spirit of the and, and also calling for them to live within the spirit of the protocol, which was really kind of a, a, a laying down of arms for a season in order so that we could kind of settle out as a church and begin to move into what the future holds. And we also called for a free and uh, a free communication of ma- of material and information about the possible restructuring of the United Methodist Church, uh, so that uh, by pass- by bishops, superintendents, uh, pastors, and congregations, so that the parties involved will have the freedom of self-determination, to end up where they're gonna or to, to go, where going they're gonna end up, which leads me into the second resolution that took place, which was related to the protocol uh, through of grace through separation um and uh we once again unanimously affirmed the protocol uh, we also called for the council of bishops to uh, to be able to schedule either a call general conference or the next scheduled general conference as soon as possible to take this up so we can begin to move past this this place of in which we're harming one another move to a, a healthier place so that instead of instead of fighting and rending the church that we say we love we can bless and send one another to our respective futures
0: and then this afternoon we began to take up some of the resolutions from the task forces we created two years ago.
7: Right. And, um, and I was really excited about the first three resolutions we picked up because, as I referenced in the opening worship service today, what we're trying to launch here is about so much more than changing the name on the front of a building or on the top of a letterhead. This is really about a reclaiming of a Wesleyan Methodist way of being church, and uh, we uh, we took uh, ex- we took an extensive look at and finally adopted with very minimal. Uh, Amendment. Three very important task force uh, work of three very important task forces. Uh, one, which Bob you chaired, was the task force on, on accountable discipleship, and and I loved what uh, David Watson said when he stood up to speak in favor of this. He said, he said, I I want to be Methodist and. And what this particular task force was calling for us to do was to really re-embed the DNA of Wesleyan discipleship—the the class meeting, the band meeting, accountable discipleship—in which we help people experience the whole continuum of grace, so that we're growing together toward a a life of holiness of heart and and life. It was a it was a great robust conversation. I'm pleased that the uh, that the. Uh, the the task force report was adopted and the resolution was adopted without significant amendment and we expect this to be the mandatory standard in the next movement that's what we're going to be putting before the convening conference when we finally get to that place the second to, the the second and third resolutions resolutions this afternoon really had to relate to um, the uh, the church multiplication task force uh, Steve Cordell chaired that task force. He's done an incredible job with that. And his, uh, you know, the, the, the vision that he began to cast that, that we would start 3,500 new congregations over a seven-year period of time uh, once we launched the movement uh, is a, is kind of a sea change. We've not done that in the Methodist world in North America since 1840s. Right. And, which, by the way, was what the last time we required class meetings, band meetings, and accountable discipleship in the American Methodist movement, of the stream of which we've been a part. So we really think this is a pretty significant Uh, visionary statement, and uh, the one piece that that Steve left out in his presenting the report was we've already begun to identify pastors and leaders and are putting them through a a process through exponential in which they're learning how to be a church multiplier and and to take a look at how every congregation in the movement will be looking to see how they can begin to multiply themselves and start a new church uh, in the next uh, several years as we launch into the next. And then the the third uh, task force and resolution that was adopted this afternoon was a task force on uh, congregational revitalization chaired by uh, Leah Hitty Gregory from the, I think it's the Central Texas Conference. Leah is a district superintendent and dean of the cabinet in that annual conference. And that that group uh, brought forward not only a... um, not only a resolution of best practices, but they've also been beta testing their information in a project over the last six months with incredible success with small, medium, and large membership churches that want to be intentional about shifting the DNA from what we've become, kind of like a watered-down secular Methodism, to what we desire to be, which is fully rooted in our Wesleyan Methodist tradition. And uh, once again, that that resolution was passed with overwhelming uh, affirmation. I think all the resolutions were passed by at least a a 95% plurality by the time we were done with any amendments. It's been an exciting, forward-looking day.
0: Yeah, I think the um, Accountable Discipleship one ultimately passed like 55 to 44, something along those lines, which told me that I think there is general agreement about reclaiming our Wesleyan DNA, but that we have to think about how we do this in a way that brings people along right who have who have not been exposed to this methodists who don't know what it means to be methodist and we need to we need to give people time and space to be to be brought up and to be to be put into that place. And so we received that that really well.
7: Yeah, I think. Uh, and you're right. It was a closer vote in the end. I think that had more to do with the nature of some of the debate than the desire to be accountable. And uh, and I think that uh, part of uh, Talbot Davis from the Western North Carolina conference uh, made, said something this afternoon. He said, uh, we're coming out of a toxic system in which we've learned not to trust people in the system and we don't like requirements because we see requirements as something that's going to judge us later, rather than something that's for our good now. And and it, when he said that, it reminded me that as a, as a dad and as a grandfather, there are times where I have put requirements in my kids' lives, not because I don't love them, but because I do, and not because I I expect uh, more of them or, or less of them, but because I expect more. And I know that as they're father. I'm not trying to be paternalistic here, but I know that as a dad or an authority figure in their lives, if I set the bar high, they're going to do everything they can do to hit that. And if I set the bar low, guess what? They're never going to reach their potential. And and I kind of see what we're trying to do here in this time of reset is to kind of reclaim what the bar was established to be by Wesley and by Coke and Asbury and others that were a part of that movement.
0: And Jesus and too, much. Je- and and Jesus too,
7: <laughs> yeah. Far be it for me to forget to go all the way, all the way back, Bob. Right. But, but uh, what, what we're dealing with is almost like, um, and, and there were times during the debate today, I felt like this, that we're still dealing with this incredible lack of trust in our present system. And uh, the more we show ourselves to be true and the more we show ourselves to be about this movement that we want to be bigger than we are rather than maintaining or defending an institution that we're trying to keep from dying, right? I, I think that we'll be healthier in the long term, but it, it's going to take us some time. It, it's, I, I wish that we could just snap our fingers and we'd be there, but it's a long obedience in the same direction. And this place we're in now it's going to be. It's going to. It's going to take very intentional, thoughtful conversation, and continuing to make the case over and over again, not in a punitive, punishing kind of sense that this is the standard, but in a winsome possibility statement kind of sense that this is what could be, if we would. If we would once again reclaim this.
0: It's elevation. Right. And I, I'm sitting here thinking of, since we're both. Western Pennsylvanians, I'm thinking of Mike Tomlin, and the standard is the standard, right? That's right. <laughs>
7: that's, that's right. That's right. It's what we do. Yeah, this is yeah. what
0: we do. And, and that's always been what we've done as, as Methodists, but we haven't done it for a long time, and, uh, and it's time to, to reclaim that. And I know there were there were some things we didn't get to today because we just ran out of time.
7: Well, yeah, because uh, once again, people were engaged. It, it's just like in anybody where you take things that have been worked on by a few, even though the – I mean, we've had probably – 500 different people working on all the task forces and all the different parts of this. But when you bring it out from the council and you bring it into the light of day so that the Global Legislative Assembly can, they have to make it their own. So they're appropriately working through those kind of things and and testing to see where the, will, the larger will of the body is. Um, but I think once we get there, I think in, trust will continue to increase and we'll begin to continue to move forward. But however, we did run out of time. That's that's a neat problem. So we're going to have a called session online where we'll finish this up. Once again, proving that this kind of work can be done both in person and virtually. And uh, and sometime probably within the next month, we'll finish out the work on the last two remaining resolutions for today.
0: Overall feeling at the end of today.
7: You know, uh, first of all, just on a human level, and I think you'll relate to this. This is the first time in over 14 months I've spent this much time engaged in interpersonal conversation with people live and in person in a two-day period of time. So on one level, um, I'm really energized by that. But on another level, <laughs> I'm going to go take a nap before we go out to dinner tonight. You know, <laughs> I've just, you know, and I'm an extrovert. I, but this is a different, it, we've not, we've lost something In our capacity to endure and relate to one another but it's on a on a movemental level i'm very pleased um you know part of part of what is happening is there are folks engaged in the global legislative assembly that have never ever gotten recognized by the chair back home and so some folks are trying to learn their voice and some folks are trying to learn how you navigate through this kind of world but overall at the end of the day Every, the spirit and intent of all of those resolutions was passed, which is the kind of DNA that we're gonna pass on to the convening conference of the next expression of our movement. And and that's one other thing I, I think is important for people to remember. You know, I'm on the Transitional Leadership Council of the Global Methodist Church, and that is a, a group that is gonna provide governance for a up to eighteen month period of time between the ending of a general conference or the approval of the of the launching of the GMC until the ending of the convening conference. But that doesn't mean that everything we've been working on in the WCA is not relevant any longer. In fact, there are a lot of things that G- the TLC decided not to deal with because, because they didn't want to be making all of those decisions for the people coming into the next. We want to have as many people representative of shaping things as possible. But every piece of legislation, every piece of doctrine and discipline, everything that we've been working on to this point will all be on the table when we gather for the convening conference. And we'll hammer out the whole identity of this next movement in that setting. And I'm, man, I can't wait to get there. I feel like I used to, when I was a kid and we were traveling to a place I always wanted to go to, I can can see it, I can sense it. I just wanna get there.
0: Yeah, that's a great word for us as we close the day here at the Global Legislative Assembly and we'll be recording tomorrow from the global gathering. We'll be hearing some great speakers. You're gonna be hearing from them over the course of the next few weeks as we uh, hear them and uh, hear their thoughts about what they were able to say. It's gonna be an exciting day. I wanna thank you for joining me here from Montgomery, Alabama. For Holy Conversations, the podcast of the Wesleyan Covenant Association. Follow us on Twitter at WCAPod. Email us your comments and questions at podcast at WesleyanCovenant.org. And we'll see you back here next time.